Thanks for tuning in to the Three Strands podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. Pretty excited about this series. Been thinking about it for a long time called Cliff Notes. So um, got a couple like facts we got to get out there first, okay? Here's the first one. So, like, in Christianity, especially, like, historical, um, kind of traditional American Christianity, um, there's this kind of, like, catchphrase you hear a lot. If you go to, like, teen camp growing up, stuff like that, it'd be like, oh, it's a, a mountaintop experience. I don't know if you ever heard that before, mountaintop experience. But if you didn't grow up in church and you uh, didn't understand, like, all the Christianese language, you know, you might not know what that means. And so I just want to, like kind of set the record straight so you know what it is because that's really kind of the idea behind this series. But mountaintop experience is really like a, a moment or a, a time where you kind of get alone with the Lord and you experience like this spiritual high or, or an extra closeness to God. It just feels like you've just gotten closer to the Lord. You've, you've uh, increased or enhanced your relationship with God. And so you um, have this I don't know, kind of like spiritual high, right, or, or spiritual like awakening in your life. And, and a lot of times in the Bible, those kind of moments happen on the top of mountains. Can you just pull me back just a little bit on the, on the slide there? But um, those moments happen like on the top of a mountain. Now, there's nothing about being on top of a mountain physically that actually makes it more possible to get closer to the Lord, okay? You're not like really closer to him because of that. He's everywhere. And so you can be closer to, to the Lord wherever you're at. But there's just something about kind of getting away from society, getting away from all the distractions around you, just spending time with the Lord. And in the Bible, a lot of times when people go up onto a mountain, they're kind of getting away from life and they're spending time with the Lord. And a lot of those stories in the Bible are kind of cool scenes where God does amazing things or he gives them new advice or new revelation or um, he reveals something about himself to somebody. And there are these kind of mountaintop moments. And then they have to come back to real life, you know, back into the real world and live their life. And so a mountaintop experience is kind of like that. The other thing we got to set straight is what cliff notes are. Because like Noah said last week in his own unique way, which Noah before church today, I want you to know, just said I'd be a really great guy if I wasn't such a jerk. So <laughs> Carson said amen when he said that. But um, so uh, yeah, so cliff notes if you're like under the age of 30, you have no clue what that is. They're like these short little books that they used to sell. Now you just use AI and cheat, right? But like back, back when I was a student in school, you couldn't do that. So if you had to read like, you know, Tom Sawyer or When the Red Fern Grows or any like kind of classic novel or book or anything like that, you could be lazy and not do the homework assignment, right? And then the night before, run to a bookstore. Bookstore, that's like where they sold reading stuff before Amazon. You would go to a bookstore and you buy these little yellow booklets with like black stripes on the front called Cliff Notes. And my whole life I thought they were called Cliff Notes until I started doing this series. And then I realized they're actually Cliff's Notes. Some dude named Cliff, I thought it always meant like you were about to fall off the cliff because you didn't do the assignment on time and they were going to like rescue you. But apparently it's some dude named Cliff that made these things. And so it's Cliff's Notes. But they're short little books that take a huge book and they sum it up so you can just read like 10 or 15 pages in one night and know the gist of the book so you can go into class the next day and pretend like you read the book. They're really a tool to help you cheat, I guess, right? 
And uh, so this series, we're going to look at several different historical stories from God's Word where different people were on top of mountains and God kind of revealed something about himself, did something miraculous, showed them something new, um, taught a principle or a lesson. And he did it in just kind of like a short little way. And so we can kind of cut through a lot of um, the reading and, and a lot of understanding the whole Bible as a whole and just kind of zero in these one account and take something away from it that we can use in our life. So that's what this series is about. None of that was in my notes. That was bonus stuff because I was afraid some of the people in our room wouldn't know what cliff notes were. And I um, just wanted to make sure we were clear. So, okay. So help me out today. I know that in our church, we have a mix of people who grew up in church and those who didn't grow up in church. I know we have some who are Christians, some who aren't Christians, some who have been Christians for a long time, and some who might be, have been in it for 15 minutes, right? I get it. But I just want to show a hand, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but show a hands for anybody in the room who grew up in a church, you had to go to a church, and at that church, they sang the song, Father Abraham. Anybody remember that song? Okay. So about 15% of our room, about 20% of our room maybe, because there's probably 5% there, just not going to raise their hand no matter what we say. So about 20% of our room. Okay. So I went to a church like that. I had to sing Father Abraham. And it wasn't until I was like maybe 15 that I realized that wasn't even a song about loving Jesus. It was just the teacher's way of trying to tire me out, right? And so you're singing this song and it never ends. Father Abraham, if you want something to tire your kids out at night, just sing that song. And they got to march around the house and it never ends. There's no conclusion. There's no, the music never fades out. It just goes on and on forever until kids drop on the Sunday school floor. You throw some iced animal cookies at them and a little red punch, and then the Sunday school, it's over, right? And so, uh, but yeah, Father Abraham. But Abraham is the character we're talking about in today's story, right? And he's probably one of, if not the most recognizable figures or characters in the Bible outside of Jesus. In fact, outside of Jesus or the Messiah, uh, Abraham is mentioned more than any other character or figure in the Bible. He comes up over and over. We're not going to look at all of it today, but he is kind of the most talked about character besides the Christ or the Messiah in the Bible. And so we're going to look at just one story from his life today. And I want to talk with you about having the same kind of faith that Abraham had. Now, some of you might hear that and you might think to yourself, that's impossible. Abraham was a great man, the father of many nations, the, 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 the beginning of the nation of Israel. And so he's this great man, close with God, talked with God, and, and did so many, like was involved in so many great stories and things happened, and God blessed him so greatly. And I could never have faith like him. And then others of you in the room are like, I don't even know who Abraham is. Is that like some guy that works like the Quickie Mart or something? You don't even know who that is, right? And so we're kind of all over the spectrum on that. But I want you to know today that faith like Abraham's is possible for those who think it's impossible. And it is necessary. It is actually the only thing that's necessary for those of you who might be thinking, I don't even know what this is all about. I'm not even sure if I need this. I, I'm, I'm promising you up front that it's, it's possible and it's necessary. So let me start with you in Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes about this character from the Old Testament, Abraham. And he's talking about our salvation or our power in Christ, our ability to be filled with the Holy Spirit, have eternal life, have the power of God in us. And listen to what he says starting in Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. 
I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Or that's code for because you do good things. Because you obey the law. Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, just like, in the same way, Abraham believed God. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Faith, belief, these are kind of interchangeable words in this passage, right? And then he wraps it up in verse 7 by saying, The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. From just this one passage, you get this clue that we're supposed to have the same kind of faith Abraham had. That we are to believe the same things that he believed. And by believing those things, by having the same kind of faith he had, we receive the exact same Holy Spirit, the exact same miraculous power, the exact same freedom and salvation that he got. We're supposed to do and believe and be just like what Abraham was, and we will receive all the exact same blessing that Abraham got. All right, so have you ever heard the old cliche, you get what you pay for? Anybody ever heard that before? You get what you pay for. All right, that typically means if you're a cheapskate, you get a cheap product, right? And if you're willing to spend a little extra money, you get something that's a little better quality, right? And uh, so I, I got like just a couple stories from my life I'm going to share with you real quick. Anybody in the room who knows who I'm talking about, don't comment on the people. I don't want to gossip about anybody, right? But so at, Steph, at our house over this summer, we've had some, let's just call it heating and air problems, okay? So, <laughs> some heating and air problems at our house, okay? We've had a heating and air guy out to our house four times this summer now for the same unit, okay? The first three times, the guy that came out was trying his best to kind of, you know, country it. You know what I'm talking about? Country it like a MacGyver. Like you take some duct tape, duct, duct tape and a paper clip and you fix the heating and air unit. So he's kind of like cobbling this thing together and doesn't charge me very much money, which is wonderful. That part's wonderful, right? But it keeps breaking. That's not wonderful, right? And um, so... Finally, a good friend in my life was like, hey, you ought to call somebody else to come look at that. Let me give you the name of somebody you can trust. And I called those people, and they came out and looked at it, and after like five minutes, they said, you need a whole new heating and air unit. Like, there's no, you can keep fixing this if you want, but it's going to break every couple weeks if you do. Like, you just need a whole new unit. And so $4,800 later, our air runs fine, Right? So we paid for what we got, right? When we paid a little, we got a little bit of help. When we paid the whole shebang, we got a brand new unit that works and is covered for 10 years, right? And uh, I remember, like, before we moved to Kentucky, we lived, um, I don't even know, Stephanie might not even be in here. I'm not even sure she's in here. Oh, she's in the back uh, with all the bad kids. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So before we moved to Kentucky, right, we lived in, like, okay, I don't know, it, for lack of a better way to say it, it was like kind of a sketchier part of town. Or if you're like under 25, be like sketch. I don't know, they just take the ends off of words now for some reason. I don't know why that is. So, but um, we lived in this part of town that was like a little questionable, okay? Uh, Winchester Avenue or something like that, I think was the name of the road, right, Stephanie? And Stephanie and I, I live with my dad and she lived, we, I, we were in like the second floor 
a one apartment, and she was like next door on the third floor of a different apartment, and, and so we were like pretty close to each other. And, uh, but on the way home from work every day, you'd pass a lot of stuff. And right by our house in this kind of like, you know, suspect or sus. Yeah, if you're younger, you just take half the word off. Yeah, so I'm going to start doing like all my words. Like, hi, I'm Day, you know. But, um, and so uh, we would drive home from work. And on the way home, right by our house, you'd pass this little tiny grocery store. I don't even think it had a name. It was just called like Discount Grocery Store or something it said on it, Right. And, uh, and, and so uh, every once in a while, they'd have something on the sign out front that would be like on sale. And I remember one day I was driving home and on the sign out front, it said sour cream free. And I said to Stephanie, I was like, they, they would have been better off to put sour cream and nickel. Because when you say free sour cream, like all kinds of bad thoughts go through my head of what that sour cream is going to be like. Free, like it's got to be like different colors, chunky, raw, like Who's giving away free groceries at the grocery store, you know? So I'm thinking, like, they'd actually been better off to charge something for it because who wants free sour cream? And I, we didn't get it, thankfully. Thankfully, I didn't have to do that. Stephanie let me get expensive sour cream once, like Brad let Emma buy a dress one time. And so, uh, so we didn't have to buy that sour cream, but it just made me, think, made me think, like, there's no way I'd buy that sour cream because I would want good sour cream, and I'd be thinking, for free, I'm going to get what I pay for right? And so we didn't get it, and I'm glad for that. I'm safe. I didn't die. And so uh, some of you know me well. You know that I used to sell cars for a living a uh, long, long time ago now, uh, and it wasn't so horrible, but I used to sell cars for a living. And one of the things, sold a lot of like high-end cars at the places I work, and so one of the things we would talk with customers about a lot was something that we called cost of ownership, okay? Cost of ownership. And so, uh, you know, if you're looking at a certain make of car, uh, it might be $5,000 cheaper than a different make of car that was on our lot. And, and so what you're, you're trying to tell the customer is like, yes, that's true. It is a little cheaper up front. But when you consider the cost of ownership or how much that vehicle is going to cost you over the life of the vehicle, it might be about the same price. In other words, if I save five dollars or $10,000 up front, but I have to be in the garage every third week getting it fixed, then I really didn't save money. If I save $2,000, but one motor lasts me an extra 200,000 miles, it might not really be a savings on the first vehicle. You see what I'm saying? So it's like overall cost to ownership. What's it going to cost you to actually own the vehicle, including repairs and fixes and stuff like that that's going to break down the vehicle over the life of the car or the truck or the SUV or whatever. And so you talk to people about cost of ownership. It's this idea that you kind of get what you pay for. And Christianity, in some ways, is just like that. Now, you can't buy your way into heaven or earn your way into God's favor, but once you become a Christian, you kind of get out of the experience what you put into it. What you're willing to pay into it kind of determines what you get out of it. And if you got kind of one foot in the water and one foot on the shore, or if you've only put half your heart into it, then you're not really going to get that much out of the Christian experience. If you're just trying to do the bare minimum so everybody else thinks you're a Christian, you're probably going to miss out on a lot of the benefits that come along with being a Christian. A lot of people are actually trying to use God to get what they want. It's more about their own satisfaction than actually surrendering their life to him. But you kind of get what you pay for when it comes to your Christian walk. 
And so, um, I don't know, that's kind of how God operates. It's like all or nothing with God. You're either all in or you're all out. He's either Lord of everything or he's Lord of nothing. He gets all of you or he doesn't really want any of you. He doesn't want you to play games or be fake. He wants a real relationship with you, but that relationship will cost you everything. And that's what God wants from you. So it's, it's something you have to give up. There's a value that you have to give up in exchange for something else. So let me ask you guys this today. What is the most valuable thing that you own or that you have? Is it a person? Is it a, maybe something that somebody left to you right before they passed away? Is it a memory? Is it a career? Is it a hobby? Is it a scholarship? What is it? What is the most valuable thing that you own? And that's really what we're going to look at today. Because Abraham, the character in this story, his most valuable, most treasured possession was his son, his only son. His first and only son, Isaac. It was all, it was all he really cared about at this point in his life. Now he's over 100 years old. He's waited 100 years to have a son. He finally has a son and he loves him. He, he's enjoying having a son in his old age, right? And so that's where we're going to pick up this story. And God is going to ask Abraham to have a relationship with him where he gives up or sacrifices his most valuable possession, his son. Sounds crazy. Sounds very like not even something God would say. Um, but it's going, to, it's going to be this example of faith that Abraham has that we're supposed to have. So the question I have for you today, the question I'm going to ask you at the very end today, I'll ask you it up front too, is do you have Abraham faith? Do you have Abraham faith? And so uh, let's look at the account together. It's in Genesis chapter 22. Let me start it off by just reading the first couple of verses to you. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. If you're an underliner, just underline that word tested. God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now let's just stop right there, because that's crazy. And you're already like, no, I don't have Abraham faith, right? Like if you're like me, I'm thinking like, come on, God, there's got to be something else. What, what else can I do? This, this is God's test, he says. He's testing Abraham's faith. I mean, what kind of test is this? I mean, if I'm Abraham, I'm asking for anything else. I'm like, come on, Lord, is there anything else I can do? I'll do a lot for you, but isn't there something else I can do to have my faith tested? And God's kind of like, well, if your faith isn't tested in the areas you care about the most, then how do you even know if you have real faith? How do you know until your faith is tested if it would hold up? If it's not just something you say? And this, this is kind of what I thought of on this piece of the puzzle. It's like, in our culture today, God's not asking a lot of people to like execute their sons. It's pretty rare. If that happens, check it out with a couple of people before you do it. Okay? I don't want you to end up in prison. But what he is saying is like, I want your faith to be more than just something you say. And a lot of people just say they have faith. They say they believe in God. They say they're following Jesus. But it's really just words. And what God is saying to Abraham here is kind of like, hey, Abraham, there's me. And there's that which you value the most. Which one are you really going to love? 
When push comes to shove, if you have to pick only one, which one will you love? Me or the stuff you value the most in your life? This question is still getting asked today. And many people say they have faith until God puts them to the test. You don't understand, God. I was born like that. You're going to ask me to give that up? You don't understand, God. I really need that relationship because they make me feel whole inside. You're going to ask me to walk away from them? You don't understand, God. I need that job. It pays all my bills. You're going to ask me to quit that for you? I mean, if you only trust God enough to follow him when he says and believes and does exactly what you say and believe and do, is that really faith at all? Many people say they have faith until God comes along, puts them to the test, and threatens the very thing they hold value in their life. And maybe those tests even offend you. Maybe there's some pieces about following Jesus. You hear him and you think, that is so offensive. Why would God even ask me to give him some of my money? Why would God even ask me to commit myself to serve others? Doesn't he know how busy I am? Doesn't he know how little money I have? Doesn't he know how important this girlfriend is to me? It offends you. But here's the thing. If your God never offends you, then your God is you. And so many of us walk around talking about our faith as if we're following Jesus, but we're really following ourselves. Let me keep reading the story, verse 3. It, it doesn't get less crazy. It keeps getting crazier. The next morning, Abraham got up early. If you're an underliner, underline that sentence. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire and, a, and for a burnt he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in a distance. Now, I had you underline, I said to underline that first phrase. Abraham gets up early and gets going. And I'm just thinking like, if I'm Abraham, and if you're Abraham, like, aren't you kind of dragging your feet on this one a little bit? Like you're about to go execute your son. You're like, let's get up, son. We got to get to it. Like, nobody's doing that, right? Like, you're taking your time. You're thinking of an excuse to put it on hold. Well, God, I got a lot on the plate today. How about if I do that tomorrow? How long, if you're really a loving father, how long can I delay this obeying what God's saying? Because I don't want to kill my son. But instead, he gets up early, as early as he can, and he gets to it. Thinking, man, that's kind of a unique kind of faith. And so Abraham's faith is tested, right? But, but then it's more than tested. It's also instant. His faith is like that. He's not here, but Chase in California. Chase used to always say to me when he was growing up that Kenny would always tell him at home, Chase, delay, delayed obedience is disobedience. And that's true, right? If you're delaying obeying God, you're actually disobeying him. If you're dragging your feet, if you know what God wants you to do, what he wants you to give up, what he wants you to walk away from, what he wants you to invest in, what he wants you to believe, and you refuse and you drag your feet, if you're slow to the party, if you just take your good old time, it's really disobedience, isn't it? And the time between what God says to do and you actually doing it belongs to the devil. And the longer you take to obey, the stronger the devil's grip gets on your life. I've heard this so many times over the years. 
I'll start giving financially to God once I get my finances in order. I'll break up with that person after I've had a chance to talk with them a little bit or after I've had a chance to, let me give them a chance to decide to follow Jesus, then I'll break up with them. I'll quit that job in a little while. I need the job right now, but, but someday I'll quit it and then I'll be able to come to church. And I got some people in the room already that like went into their jobs like in the last couple of weeks and were like, I'm going to church, so you have to either change my schedule or I'm leaving. It's like, but what about that? Is your obedience instant or is it delayed? Come on, you know. I rarely have to tell people, like when we sit down with people and they're talking about their life, I rarely have to tell them what they're supposed to be doing. People almost always know what the right thing is to do. They just don't want to do it. They just want to drag their feet and disobey because they want what they want. And I wonder how strong of a grip the devil has in your life just because you won't obey instantly. It's the difference between production and procrastination. Are you being productive for the Lord or dragging your feet and procrastinating? Because God's directions are usually pretty simple. They're usually pretty clear. They're not really hard to understand. They're just hard to execute because you don't want to. And I just wrote in my notes, like, if, if your God always works around your schedule, then you're your God. Okay, here's the story. It keeps going. Verse 5, he says, Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then, underline this, we will be right back. We will come right back. Doesn't make sense. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. That's nice. About to execute you here. Carry your own firewood. Well, he himself carried the fire or the flint and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? I love that because... It's almost like he says to his dad, he's like, dad, something's not right here. And I'm thinking like, if I'm Abraham, I probably said that exact same thing to God like the day before. God, something's not right here. Like, what are we doing, you know? And Isaac says that same thing. And Abraham responds in verse eight and says, God will provide, underline that to you, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. His faith was being tested He responded instantly, but his faith was also confident. And I wonder if your faith is like that. If you're absolutely confident that God's going to deliver all the blessing he says he's going to deliver, even when you can't see it, even when you don't see it coming. He says to his servants, we will come back. But you're on your way to execute your son. Why would you think they're both coming back? And then he says, no, 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 God will provide a sheep. I'm sure of it, right? He's confident. He's confident that God's going to take care of him, that God's going to provide an alternative, that God's going to do something amazing here. Do you obey God even when it doesn't look right to you? When you have a disagreement with God, who gets to call the shot? And that's what's going on in Abraham's life. He's going to obey God no matter what. He's going to believe that God's got his back. And I just wrote down in my notes for this one, if, if your God never disagrees with you, you're probably your own God. Verse 9. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Now we're getting down to the last seconds here, right? 
Just keep in mind this story just for context's sake. Abraham's probably like 115 years old at this point. Isaac's a teenager. Abraham's not strapping him down to burn him alive without Isaac submitting. And so Isaac is kind of demonstrating the same kind of faith, maybe greater faith than even Abraham's showing here. But he gets the fire ready. He gets the wood on the altar and he ties up his son, lays him on the altar on top of the wood. And then says, Abraham picked up his knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Just underline that sentence, verse 10. Abraham picked up his knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And I just wrote down for this one that not only was Abraham's faith tested, not only was it instant, not only was he confident in his faith, but it was also costly. And I wonder if your faith costs you anything. Man, we live in such a protected country. But does your faith cost you anything? I mean, Abraham's faith here, it, there was a sacrifice to be made, wasn't there? It was going to cost him something to obey God. Something more valuable to him than anything else. It was going to hurt. What does your faith look like when it hurts to follow Jesus? And I guess I just ask you again, like, do you have this kind of faith? Do you have Abraham faith? Faith that's been tested through difficult times and yet you've remained steady on for the Lord? Or do you just talk about it and then do what you want? Do you have faith that responds in obedience instantly or do you just kind of like call your own shots and disagree with God and drag your feet on stuff that you know he wants you to do? Is your faith in God confident? Do you believe his blessing is greater than anything you could see now? And does it cost you anything or is it all easy? I love the story in 2 Samuel chapter 24 where King David uh, wants to buy this field from a guy to, to worship and sacrifice things to the Lord. And so he goes to this guy and he says, hey, I'd like to buy your field um, so I can worship God here. And the guy says, no, 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 you're the king. You can just have my field. I'll, I'll donate it to you. And, and, and King David says, uh, no, 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 I will buy the field. What's the fair market value? I'll buy it from you. And the guy says, no, 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 you're the king. You don't need to buy anything from me. I'm nobody. Just take my field. In fact, you can have some of my livestock to sacrifice to the Lord on the field. You can just have it all. And David in 2 Samuel, I think 24, 24 is the verse. He says to this guy, no way, I'll buy it. Because I will not offer the Lord something that costs me nothing. And I was saying, man, does our faith cost us anything? Nobody's dragging you out of your house, throwing stones at you, lighting you on fire for being a Christian. But does it cost you anything? Can you get up and come here if you're just a little tired? Can you be at Life Group every week? Can you serve other people or is it such a drag because they're so annoying? Can you love your neighbor or is that too difficult? When somebody says something mean to you, can you respond kindly? Or is even that too much suffering for us? Is even that too expensive for us to pay? You get what you pay for. Right? Some of us, we have this kind of, I don't know, phony faith. We talk about it. We even look like it sometimes. But it isn't this. It is an Abraham kind of faith. And Christianity following Jesus is free, no doubt. It just costs you everything, though. Somehow it's both. 
I don't want to leave you hanging because some of you may have never heard this story before. And we got like Abraham standing over his son with a knife right now. So let me read you how it kind of wraps up the story in verse 11. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. That's interesting. That's the exact same phrase he used back in verse 1 when the Lord called to him. Here I am. Times were way better back then. He wasn't killing his son. Now he's right in the middle of a stressful, hurtful, difficult situation, a test of his faith. And I wonder, is our response to the Lord exactly the same when times are good as it is when times are bad? Here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in its thorns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Jireh, or the Jews would say Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The providence came right after the obedience. And some of us want God to do these great things in our lives, but we won't obey even in the smallest little ways. He's not asking us to execute our kids. He's not asking us to stand up and, and, and talk about him while people shoot us in the head. He's just asking us to go to a coworker who's a little annoying and wear our faith on our sleeve. He's just asking us to stand up with a little bit of courage on our team and defend our faith. He's just asking us to not have to have somebody beg you to come to church. And we're like, ah, it's too hard. It hurts a little bit, but I really like that person. I know they hate the Lord, but I really like them. Can't give up them. And we have kind of this messed up view of faith and we think it's all okay. Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, talks about this same account in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read it to you. Verse 17, he says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned or was confident that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Did you hear all that in there? Abraham sacrificed. It cost him something. Abraham reasoned. He was confident. Abraham was being tested by God. Abraham obeyed instantly, no matter what it was going to cost him. Abraham kind of faith. Paul writes about this same story too in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 20. He says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous, not because of what he did, but because of what he believed. Don't get confused. It wasn't because of what Abraham did. It was because of what he believed. What he believed just drove what he did. What you believe will always drive what you do. 
And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. It isn't about what I do, it's about what Jesus did. I just have to buy it. I just have to believe it. But if I believe it, I'll climb the mountain. I'll give up whatever it costs. I'll do it instantly. I'll let God test my faith and I'll stay true to him. I'll be confident that his promise outweighs the suffering now. I will give up whatever it costs me. Now let me read you the very end of this account because the angel of the Lord is going to say something else to Abraham starting in verse 15 in Genesis 22. He says, Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham to, called to Abraham again from heaven. This is what the Lord says. And he's going to repeat in these next couple of verses. I'm going to read it for you. He's going to repeat what theologians would call the Abrahamic covenant. It is the covenant that covers the whole Bible. There's about five or six kind of major covenants in the Bible. But this one is what the whole Bible's about. He's going to repeat it to him. This is what he says. Because you have obeyed me, because you have obeyed me, and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you obeyed me. The blessing is right on the other side of obedience. The providence is right on the other side of obedience. This is what the Abrahamic covenant, land, seed, blessing. If you're trying to think of an easy way to remember, that's how I remember it. Abrahamic covenant, land, seed, blessing. God grabs Abraham. He's like, Abraham, I'm going to make something great out of you. Not because of anything you did, but just because I've chosen to give you my favor. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And it's going to include three components, land, seed, and blessing. I'm going to give you a land of your very own. Maybe you've heard people in church say the promised land, right? I'm going to give you a promised land, a place to live, a place that's amazing, seed. And I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I'm going to give you a heritage, descendants, ancestors coming after you, seed, right? And then blessing. He said, I'm going to make your name great. And through you, all the nations of the earth are going to get blessed. That's it. He repeats this covenant over and over again all throughout the Bible. He goes to Moses, and they call it the Mosaic Covenant, where he delivers in part the land blessing. Moses helps get the people out of Egypt. They go into the promised land after he dies, right? David comes along with another covenant called the Davidic Covenant, just repeating the seed part of the Abrahamic Covenant. Through you, David, there's always going to be a king on the throne of Israel. And then there's a covenant in Jeremiah called the New Covenant, where God restates this covenant. He says, I'm going to give a blessing to everybody on earth, Jew and Gentile alike, all through the line of Abraham. I'm going to do all of this. A promised land, descendants, family, heritage, blessing for everybody, all because you obeyed me. You get to the New Testament and Jesus comes along and what Jesus actually does is fulfills this covenant. He comes and he dies in our place so we don't have to be punished for our sin. He rises from the dead 
And what do we get for that? We get land, we get seed, we get blessing. What do I mean? We get heaven, we get to become children of God, and we get peace that goes beyond all understanding into eternity now and into the future. Land, seed, and blessing. Jesus is the fulfillment of this covenant where we've always failed and disobeyed. Jesus never did. Where we fell short, Jesus rose to the occasion. And he looks at us and he says, all of that is for you too, not just Abraham. You can have heaven. You can be a child of God. You can have peace no matter what the situation. You can have eternal life and blessing through me. All you have to do is believe. Just believe that I'm the Lord. And if you believe that, it'll drive you to climb a mountain for me. It'll drive you to sacrifice your kids for me if I so choose. It'll drive you to worship me. It'll drive you to give to me. It'll drive you to follow what I say to do and believe everything I say to believe. Your belief always drives your behavior. Always. Do you get it? I'm just going to borrow this chair beside Brad for a second. This is the chair of faith. I made that up on the spot there, Brad. I'm just saying this is the chair of faith for today, right? You guys have been in church, been in church where you've heard this story. Faith is when you come up to this chair and you just sit down on it. That's faith. I have faith that the chair is going to hold me off the ground, don't I? Here's what's not faith. If I stand over here on the side and I talk about the chair and I say, that's a good looking chair. I really believe that chair would hold me. And you say, go sit on the chair. Like, nah, I'm good. Just, I'll just be over here talking about it. That's the kind of faith most people have that are willing to talk about it, say they're a Christian, come to church and act the part, but they're never really sitting down on the faith in Christ. They just talk about it. It's not real faith. It's fake faith. Instant faith. This is what's, not, this is what's faith. You come over to the chair and you sit down on the chair. And you're like, man, I knew that chair would hold me up. That's instant obedience, instant faith, right? Here's what's not instant faith. When I see that chair, I'm like, that looks like a strong chair. I believe it could hold me up. I'll sit in it someday. Someday, when I really need a chair, I'll go sit in that chair. That's not Abraham kind of faith. That's fake faith. How about confident faith? I'm like, that chair, I really believe that chair could hold me up. That chair will hold me up if I sit on or stand on it. Go ahead and sit on it. No, I'm just going to kind of one foot on, one foot off. I, I mean, I think it will. Pretty sure it will. That's not confident faith. That's not confident faith. Faith is when I just go up and sit on it. Can I borrow you for a second, Kay? Come here a second. I just need your help. You look like a man of great faith. Can you sit right here for a second? I'm positive that chair will hold you up. Positive. Positive. Oh, see my faith? I have so much faith. That's not faith. Getting somebody else to make the sacrifice? You can't ride your parents' coattails. Your wife can't follow Jesus for you. You can't put Kate on the chair and claim I have faith. That's not faith. That's all phony. And that's how most of us are living. You can go back and sit down. Man. I appreciate it. Thanks for being my example of fake faith. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Do you get it? Faith, Abraham-like faith is not when we talk about it. It's not when we delay it. It's not when we kind of do, kind of don't. And it's not when we get somebody else to do the heavy lifting for us. It's when we jump in, all in, sit down on the chair. I got confidence. I can't see how it's going to turn out, but I believe. 
that God is better. I'm not going to wait because God says to do it now. It hurts a little bit, but I'm willing to sacrifice anything for him. It's tougher than I thought it'd be. This is just a test. I'm going to stay true to him. That's Abraham kind of faith. This is how Jesus said it in the New Testament, Luke 14. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you ready? You must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross or be willing to die for me and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That's strong language. He's not telling you to hate your mom, hate your kids. He's saying you ought to love him so much, be so eager to obey him, be so quick to listen, be so committed to his way, and so confident in his future blessing that you'll do anything. And by comparison to how much you love him, it'll look like you hate even your own life and your kids. Is that the kind of faith you have? He ends that passage in verse 33 by saying, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And I wonder, if you could go back to Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, this phrase that they made a proverb out of this event that said, on the mountain of the Lord, on the mountain of the Lord, it'll be provided. But here's the thing. You won't go to the mountain of the Lord if you don't have real faith. You just play a game. You just kind of look Christian. You might learn enough of the words to say to make everybody else think you're Christian. But you won't really be on the mountaintop of the Lord. You won't really get anything provided for you. You'll really be getting kind of a cheap alternative. You kind of get what you pay for in this thing. So I ask all of you today, do you have Abraham faith? Or do you have something else? And if you don't have Abraham faith, today could be the day. Just tell God, God, test me. I'm all in. I'm confident your way is better. No matter what it costs me, I'll obey right away. Tested, instant, confident, costly faith. That's the kind of faith that saves. That's the kind of faith Abraham has. That's the kind of faith we're supposed to have. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, this is hard truth because I really want to be in charge of my own life. I really want to call my own shots and make my own decisions. This is hard truth for everybody in the room, but God, would you just shower them with courage right now? Because it takes courage to follow you. It could cost us something. It could cost us a relationship that we love. It could cost us a job we really enjoy. It could cost us money that we like to hold on tightly to. It could cost us time that we don't think we have enough of already. But whatever it costs, whatever you say, would you give us the courage to believe it and obey it? God, I pray right now you just embolden the people in our room to take the next three or four minutes as we sing about your provision, your goodness, and your greatness to us. That we maybe for the first time in our life recognize, you know what, that is enough. And he does deserve all of me. And I will no longer try to run a con where it's all about me being selfish. Instead, from now on, it would be all about me being surrendered. And just give everybody in the room the courage to have a heart-to-heart -heart with you. 
and decide today that they will live with Abraham faith, with saving faith, and experience a brand new life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday, 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park Building. We hope to see you soon.